May the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. C.S. Lewis once said, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy, because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. Human beings love to praise things. Whether it be a fine work of art or a great movie, an act of kindness or a sweet word. For all the grumbling we do, people do enjoy praising things. I think we enjoy praising things so much in part because it's the nearest we can get to worship without actually crossing that line. It's an enjoyable thing to do, not least because when you praise someone, you get to see the joy that it brings to them. feels good to praise. And praise is the rather obvious topic of our psalm this morning, Psalm 145. This, the last of David's psalms in the book, it begins the final section of the book of Psalms where each psalm is centered on praise. In fact, all of the last few psalms begin with, praise the Lord. It's fitting that this book of poems that has functioned as the hymn book of, of the church for so many years would end with psalms of praise. It's, it's as if the compiler of the psalms was suddenly teaching that, that if there is just one thing you get out of this book, know that you are to praise your God. After all, as I have said, maybe once or twice, Worship, or praise of our God, is what we were created to do. Human beings at their best are praising Jesus. Now in our series, we've been talking about joy and the different ways we find joy in the Lord. And so this week, rather fittingly, we talk about the joy of the Lord as it is found in praising Him. Praising him for who he is, for what he does, and how praising the Lord shapes us and turns into proclamation. David begins this psalm with a call to praise. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. In these first three verses, we see David praising the Lord simply for who he is. He is God and King. He is great and beyond comprehension. And that sort of praise is going to be found throughout the psalm. David continues with praising God for who he is. One commentator helpfully brought together all of the different attributes 
for which David praises the Lord in this psalm. He writes, God here is known as active, compassionate, faithful, generous, good, gracious, great, judge, king, loving, majestic, near, powerful, righteous, and watchful. Fifteen attributes. Some of them he praises God for multiple times. This is how David sees his God. And he praises him for it. Now we've spoken before in this series about how we are to praise God simply for who he is. And it's certainly something we need to be reminded of pretty frequently. But I want to take a slightly different approach this morning. I said at the beginning that we enjoy praising things. Yet the chief complaint that I hear about from people about their life in Christ is it's not that it's too challenging or that they worry that God isn't hearing their prayers, though I do, I do hear those things. It's that life with Christ seems dry and dull. It seems more like work than anything else. And certainly that is the contemporary view of much of the church, that it is lifeless. It is why so many churches have turned to things like stages and light shows and digital presentations and other gimmicks to make the church feel more exciting. It's done to enhance our worship experience. But those solutions don't get very far. Because they've misdiagnosed the problem. The underlying assumption is that people's life with Christ feels dried out because the church is not engaging or exciting enough. And so we need to make people feel something. But the value of praise is not tied to what we feel. But rather, our view of God. The solutions that so many churches offer that have been tried and found wanting, they, that happens because the real problem is a deficient view of God. And so the solution is presenting God for who he is. It's genuine gospel proclamation. A presentation of God that captures the heart. Because that's what God does when we see him for who he is. Verse 3, David praises the Lord saying, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. David is in awe of the greatness of God. And he gets there because of what we read beginning in verse 5. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. David spent time searching the scriptures to learn more and more about who God is. And the more he learned about him, the more he was driven to praise him. He spent time with God, meditating on his word, remembering his love and his righteousness. 
These things were not dried out theological concepts. They were the very things that shaped David's understanding and therefore David's heart for God. And so he takes those truths that we can so often turn into dusty old theological ideas and he uses them to praise God. To praise God for his greatness. For his transcendence. For his majesty. For who he is. Now, if we are in a place where following Jesus seems like work, where it always seems lifeless, I'm, like, I'm not talking about your, like a random Sunday here and there. I'm talking about over and over again. Perhaps it's because our view of God has actually diminished over time. And a great way to see if it has is to honestly ask, am I spending any time with God at all? We spend time with the people we value. We speak, we talk to the people that we love. And so if we love and value our Father, are we speaking with Him at all? Or are we so squeezing Him in that our prayers are like 30 seconds long while we're lying in bed, just hoping we can get to Amen before we fall asleep? Now, I know the retort to this, right? I'm, I'm busy. My schedule's full. I can sympathize with that. I really can. Almost everyone is busy. Now, I strongly agree with the statement that the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. But to that, I would add a second. The second greatest trick the devil ever pulled is filling people's lives with busyness. Our calendars are overflowing. And even when they're not, with our instant culture and constant connection through social media, we feel busy even when we're not. And so I get it. I sympathize. I really do. I know myself well. I know if I show up here on, on your average morning and I walk into my office and I immediately pull out my laptop and start firing up some email or whatever it is I'm working on, I know the day can very quickly get away from me. And I turn around at one point and I realize I've been working for Jesus this whole day and I haven't spoken to him once. I haven't opened my Bible once. I get it. I know how busy we feel. But we take time for those we love. I'm not talking about carving out a three-hour block in your day here. But slowing down long enough to talk with your father. To meditate on his word. Even, even just a verse. Something. Because if we don't make time for him, over time our view of him will diminish. And life with Christ will be dry and feel empty. Now one of the ways we can help ourselves is by taking the word of God and using his words to praise him. Take a psalm and pray it back to the Lord. Not only are you praising God then, but you're immersing yourself in the scriptures as you do it. And you don't need to be 
worried about saying the wrong thing. You're using his words. Take Psalm 145. Pray, Father, thank you that you are slow to anger. Thank you that you are abounding in steadfast love, that it is your nature to love me even when I don't love you. It's actually not that complicated. God's word is a gift to us to help us to to know Jesus more, to know how to follow Jesus more. And one of the ways we do that is by using his very word to praise him. Praising him simply for who he is. One other reason I want to talk about praising God for who he is. It's that it protects us from making our relationship with him all about what he can do for me. You will notice in our psalm that not only does David start his praise with who God is, but even when he speaks of the good work of the Lord, it's presented in the light of who God is. The section of the psalm that highlights God's work begins at the end of verse 13, which says, The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. Who he is, then what he does. The who comes before the do. Verse 17, right in the middle of that section, we read, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. Just as we who are in Christ, who we are comes before what we do, so it is with God that his identity is the foundation for all that he does. That being the case, our praise should follow the same sort of pattern. Focusing on who he is even before what he does. It keeps us from praising him because he's essentially a genie in a magic lamp. We tend to approach him the same way we would approach someone that we love because they're a great cook or they have a great job. Well, what happens when that thing disappears? What happens when there's an economic downturn and the job disappears? What happens when the great cook decides, you know what, I'm done cooking? If the actions are the foundation of the relationship, the moment the actions end or change, the relationship is fractured. And so if God acts in a way that we don't understand or that we don't like, if our praise of him has been centered on what he does for me, our relationship with him will be hindered. We avoid that by keeping the order right. Perhaps we need need to go even so far as beginning every one of our times of prayer and praise simply praising God for some part of who he is. Thank you, Father, that you are so great and so vast. Thank you that you are love, that you are worthy, that you are holy. And then take that and let it shape the way you speak to and about him. Then you can get to praising him for his works. David certainly does that. Hear me rightly. There, there is nothing wrong with praising God because of the work he does on our behalf. 
That is a good and proper thing. David certainly does it. We praise God for who he is, and out of who he is, is how he acts. This psalm begins with David praising God for his greatness. It's that image of transcendence, which is one of the favorite images used in the psalms. Yet when David shifts towards the Lord's actions, look at what he focuses on. Verse 18. The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cries and saves them. Let's stop there for a second. Can you begin to see why David is so moved to praise God? This God who he began with saying is great and powerful is also the God who draws near. This God who placed the stars and spoke the world into existence is the one who hears the prayers of each and every one of us. I know some that say that God is, you know, he's just too busy. He's too busy. He's got bigger things to worry about than just little old me. Why would he care about the little, small ongoings of my life? Well, he does. It's not true that God is too busy, friends. It's not true at all. He is near to you. He hears you. Perhaps there's no one who knew that better than David himself. And he was the great king of Israel. So yeah, there were a lot of highs in David's life. (laughs) Let's not kid ourselves. But read a story. It's there in the Bible for you. There's a lot of lows too. Running for his life. Sin that had profound and awful consequences. Even his own son trying to overthrow and kill him. He went through all of that. And could look to his God and say, you are the one who is near to me. You are the one who hears me. You are the one who cares about me. That he hears my cry. He saves me. He satisfies me. He writes in this song. Who does he do that for? Look at verse 14. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. What an amazing thing that the Lord works for those who stagger under the weight of the world. How he comes to save not the proud and the puffed up, but the humble who bow down before him. Those who praise him. And remember, it's David writing this. He's a king. Read about the other kings. Getting puffed up was kind of natural to them. And yet he writes, it is the humble that he saves. And of course he does. Because that's the heart of God. That is the heart that Jesus displayed for us, isn't it? In humility we read. He laid aside his glory to come to serve those who had rejected him. And not because he had to. The Father didn't send the Son because one day he looked down at the world and he said, now they've done it. They've hit the requisite level of holiness. Now I'm going to send Jesus. No. He sent his Son for us simply because he is love. 
out of the love that he is and has for us in his creation. That is all. The work of God comes from the heart of God, and so we praise him for it. And as we praise him, our praise quickly turns into proclamation. In both verses 4 and 12, David speaks of one generation passing on the truth of God to the next. We speak of the glory of God. We praise our Lord in part so that those who come after us might hear who their God actually is. It's kind of rather than silly that we would think it would happen any other way. And it's a part of why how we praise God and how our life with Him really is. Part of why that's so important. Because our view of God is going to be shaped by someone or something. And so when we praise God for who he is, that's what shapes the hearts and minds, not just of ourselves, but of those who need to hear the gospel. Think about it this way. Who wants to be a part of a faith where all the worshipers just seem to complain about how hard the faith is? Or even if they're not saying how hard it is, right? They're just sort of dragging into church. I've got to read the Bible again. Why do we have to pray so much? Another song, really? You know, there's playoff hockey on today, right? Who wants to be a part of that? Who wants to be a part of something that, like, nobody who's actually a part of it seems to want to be a part of it? The world already thinks that Christian life is about slogging through life until you die, keeping a bunch of outdated morals that nobody really wants to live by anymore, and we just feed into that stereotype every time we just slog through life. The alternative is a heart that's actually gripped by God, by the majesty of God, like David's was. That is something different entirely. That is something that is attractive. That is a gift. And we have it to give. We have a gift in our God. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, David writes. The praise of the Lord. Not, oh my gosh, what time is the service at again? The praise of the Lord. Thank God I get to worship Jesus. Thank God he saved me so that I can declare just how great and awesome he is. Which sounds better to you? So let me ask you, what's something you can praise me for? I see some pens and paper out there. Write something down. What can you praise Jesus for? What can you say to someone of the next generation or of your generation? Someone who needs to know Jesus. What can you say to them? If they ask you, why do you go to church? Why would you ever do that? What would you say to them? Why would you believe in God? What has God ever done for you? Why would he be worthy of any worship whatsoever? What would you say to them? 
Have you thought about it before? Hopefully you got, you've been asked. Hopefully you'll get asked again. So you can proclaim it. Now I've asked you a lot of questions. I should probably be kind enough to at least give one answer. So I will. There's many ways that I could answer that question. But for me, it's as simple as this. I know what it's like to live with God and live without Him. I know what it's like to have good days with Him and without Him. And I certainly know what it's like to have bad days with Him and without Him. And let me tell you, the difference is profound. It is night and day. One is far better than the other. And I would give up nothing to go back to those days. You couldn't... There is nothing you could ever give me. There is nothing enough. That's how great God is. I get to know the God that sustains me. I get to know the God who upholds me. The God who is so powerful that he would create everything and that loves me enough that he would hear me. That he would be near to me. That he would comfort me on those bad days. That he would celebrate with me on those good ones. How would you answer it? And when you think of God, is that what comes to mind even today? Or is that a relic from when you first believed? Maybe if time with Jesus is starting to feel dry and dusty, what needs to happen is we need to start proclaiming the gospel to ourselves again. There's a reason why David talks in verse 5, meditating on God's majesty. He's a man after God's own heart, and yet he keeps meditating on God's majesty. He doesn't stop. He didn't get to the place and said, that's good. No more of him needed. Verse 6, he talks about declaring the greatness of God. Verse 7, singing of his righteousness. He's declaring the gospel to himself. Maybe that's what we need to do for ourselves. Each and every day. The great line from the great hymn, how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. It's a great line. Here's the thing. That grace is just as precious now as it was in that first hour. Grace doesn't diminish over time, only our view of it. And so maybe we need to ask the Lord to remind us of his grace again, of his majesty, his glory, his holiness, whatever it is. Dear people of God, praise your God. Extol him day by day that your heart might know and believe that your heart might know and believe that Jesus has come near to you and that in his love he has saved you and that he is most assuredly worthy of all your praise. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um.